0: But I want to continue talking with you on this whole matter of when trials shake your life. And so if you have your copy of God's Word with you today, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1 and we'll read verses 3 through 9 in just a a few moments. We're really doing a series out of the book of James. And so you say, well, what are you doing in Peter? Well, James started this. In verse 2 of chapter 1, James said, count it all joy brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials or tests of your faith of various kinds or of many colors. And uh, so, uh, so James kind of got us started moving in that direction and there's so much to say when you start thinking about trials. Now the next message I plan to deliver in this series out of James will still be under the context of trials. Today's trials, the next message will, the context is trial, but it's, trials, but it's a, 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 it's a kind of approach that James uh, gives to us, and we'll look at that. But as I said, he begins his letter discussing uh, trials and tests and persecutions, things that shake us, things that rock our faith, and, and maybe things that even cause us to wonder, God, are you there? God, are you with me? One of my favorite devotional books, if you don't have it, you ought to get it, it is, I have lots of devotional books, but there are two in my library that I keep real close to my study desk. Now, I spend time in God's Word and prayer, but there are are two books. These are not the sole basis of my time with the Lord. Never let a devotional book replace the Word itself, okay? But uh, these are my two favorites, Streams in the Desert by... um, A woman named Letty Cowman. She was a missionary, and she and her husband were contemporaries uh, with Oswald Chamber, who is the author of the other favorite that I have, My Utmost for His Highest. And I I read these frequently throughout the year. And Miss Cowman writes in uh, Streams, uh, um, Streams in the Desert, uh, which is a series of uh, devotions for a year. She and her husband were missionaries overseas, and her husband had a stroke, was confined to a wheelchair. And she took care of him the rest of uh, his life. And she wrote these devotions uh, all through that time. And uh, they're just absolutely fantastic. And as it would be, I was reading early this morning in Streams in the Desert. And this is what she had written. If God has called us to his highest and best, each of us will have a time of crisis when all of our resources will fail. And when we face either ruin or something better than we have ever dreamed. But before we can receive the blessing, we must rely on God's infinite help. We must be willing to let go, surrendering completely to Him, and cease from our own wisdom, strength, and righteousness. We must be, as Paul said, crucified with Christ, and yet alive in Him. God knows how to lead us to the point of crisis, and He knows how to lead us through it. That's good, isn't it? Because there are, those are what trials are. They lead us to this crisis. They make us think uh, 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 that the resources are all gone. In fact, we have the resource of Christ, but we have to crucify ourselves and allow Him to live through us. As I said last week, there are some of you who are in this auditorium, some of you watching on television, some of you by live stream and others listening by radio today, and your life is being rocked by a test or a trial, and you don't understand them, but your life is being shaken by that, and you don't know what uh, is going on, and you need some direction and some instruction. Well, the good news is that God has plenty of that. Peter gives it to us. I was thinking about as I was working on the message, uh, uh, uh an incident that the Soviet Union, back when it was the Soviet Union, discovered in 1987 with their cosmonaut program. Three uh, cosmonauts returned to Earth after orbiting the Earth for 326 days. Now that's before we had the space stations and, and that sort of thing. But 326 days they orbited, and and they actually, when they landed, they were in good health. But that wasn't always the case. You see. In those record-breaking voyages, just five years earlier, there was one cosmonaut, uh, actually I think it was two cosmonauts, who had orbited the earth for 211 days. And when they landed, their pulse rate was high, they couldn't settle their pulse rate, they uh, were dizzy and couldn't hardly walk, their heart had all kinds of palpitations, and uh, it took uh, 30 days of therapy just to get them walking again normally you see what happens is at zero gravity there's no resistance in your body and so your body and your muscles will kind of waste away and they will atrophy and so the, the Soviets trying to figure out what do you do? How do you keep that from happening? Because, by the way, they said the two that orbited for 211 days never fully regained the kind of posture that they had before that. That's how much damage it did, not having any kind of exercise in their muscles and zero gravity. Well, okay. And so what they discovered is they had to create resistance in those muscles. And so the reason the ones who orbited for more days were okay is because in between the two stints the soviets developed what they called the penguin suit the penguin suit is essentially a a kind of a neoprene runner suit and it's stitched with elastic all the way through it and so every time they moved anyway it resists their muscles uh, for uh, face resistance, and so it kept them in kind of an exercise mode, and then they prescribed certain kinds of exercises to enhance that. And so when they landed, they were essentially okay. Why? Because uh, Craig Brian Larson says, we often uh, uh, need our muscles to be uh, stretched spiritually. We always dream for the days, you know, where everything and all the difficulties, uh, will be gone. But in this life, that's not the case. They're never going away in this world. And so there is resistance that comes, and God uses these things to strengthen the fiber of our bodies, our spiritual bodies, and uh, through these kinds of trials and tests that come upon us. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to give you some things I think that will help you, and if you've got your Bibles open to First Peter chapter 1, I want you to stand with me as we read our text this morning And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lord Jesus, uh, we want your counsel. We need your counsel. And we ask that you'd speak to us this morning from your word. We receive it as your word. We desire, Father, for you to speak into our hearts and our minds. Change us, Father. Make us different When we go from this place, God, let your word and your Holy Spirit rest upon us and carry us. No matter what's ahead or what we face, let us face it in your power and with your strength. And now, Lord, I pray that that my words will be your words. Lord, I give you my thoughts, I give you my mind, I give you my study, I give you everything I say, Lord. I present myself to you as your messenger and pray that you will speak now, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I told you last week, but let me just reiterate again for you that <clears throat> Peter, what Peter, we just read from Peter, uh, mirrors what James said to those Christians. Remember I told you those Christians were, had been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, the the dispersion of the Jews, we say, or the church. And, uh, and so the gospel had gone throughout the Roman Empire. Well, 20 years later, Peter writes. James had written though, two decades before, but now Peter writes, and he says essentially the same thing. He reminds us of the same thing uh, as it relates to trials. And why did he do that? It's because just like when James wrote to the Christians scattered about through the Roman Empire... When Peter writes, the same things are still going on and I might add have been going on for 2,000 years and that is an assault, an attack upon the work of God, an assault, an attack upon the people of God. Uh, 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 Trials and testings have never vanished and that's why we need to be encouraged what, uh, what to do when the when the storm comes, what to do when the test of our faith comes, what, what to do when our faith is shaken. James writes that and then 20 years later Peter writes addressing this. Their trials specifically had come because of their faith, their faith in Christ. I shared with you last week you can expect more of that and that's because of the source of trials that we talked about and, and let me just remind you of of, of those four sources, some are self-induced, there are some trials in your life that quite frankly you just brought on yourself, you brought them on through you know some bad choice or some bad behavior and you have to live with them and you have to live through them but the, the good news is God can take even the trials that come into your life by your choices or behavior and he can still make something beautiful and wonderful happen for uh, with that but you have to put your eyes back on him you have to confess and you have to go forward now secondly we said that uh, some trials are sourced through our society the society we we live in they're the result of this godliness they're they're the result of the prince and power of this world that has been allowed to assault truth and to assault righteousness but only for a little while you notice that Peter says that for a little while. And if you go back over, James talks about it for a little while. If you look over in, in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, he says for a little while. This is only for a little while, but in this world, uh, the enemy who is allowed to have uh, uh, boundaries in this world can attack and he can bring difficulty. So some of them, some of the trials in your life are societally induced. And, and you may say... Well, that just doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem if if you're living a righteous life or you're longing to to follow and do the things that God prescribes for us to do in his word, why would would we have those kinds of trials? Well, the Bible says because in a broken world, in a sinful world, it's been this way since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the consequences of a broken world often feed to the lives of the righteous as well. The just suffer with the unjust just it rains on the just and the unjust the scripture uh, says and so sometimes the trials in this life are the result of living in this broken world and again if you say it's unfair well one of the things that I always remind myself of yeah it feels unfair but it's only for a little while and that makes us long for heaven all the more right when you're going through some significant storm heaven becomes more precious to you and your need for God. And so some come through the, uh, the age we're living in. And we have plenty of biblical examples. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, David, uh, Paul, Esther, John, Peter, all of these. Uh, Job, uh, all of these we see. Uh, there are examples. And then we said some of the trials in your life are satanically induced. Uh, uh, they are direct demonic attacks. And again, uh, Satan can only do what God allows him to do, but he is the prince and power of this world. And so sometimes he has a plan, and his plan is to take you down. And I told you the reason he wants to take you down uh, is because he, two reasons. Number one, he wants to uh, mitigate your influence. He does not want you to make a difference for God in the world. Uh, that's pretty, so that's Ned and the first reader in terms of just basic, that's, he, he wants to render you ineffective. The second reason that Satan will attack you is because he just hates God, and he does it purely to spite God. If these are your children i 'm going to try to hurt your children i 'm going to try to undermine your children i 'm going to try to turn your children away from you and so so that's his mode of operation and uh, Uh, And so we put on the full armor of God. By the way, in all four of these sources, let me just say this, the, the most essential ingredient you have in facing them is faith. We're told to resist him firm in the faith, to stand in faith, to put on the armor, and faith is a part of the armor. Faith is the most essential weapon you have, and that is you have to choose to believe when you're in the storm, when you're in the trial or the test. And then fourth, I told you, some uh, uh, trials are spiritually induced. These are not only allowed by God, these are directed are given by God. Abraham, God tested Abraham. We see this on several occasions in the scripture. And sometimes the source of the trial or the source of the test is from heaven. God is building your faith. He's building your faith because he's got something that's going to require a stronger faith of you down here and down here. And so he's fortifying your faith through the trials. But regardless of how the trial or the tests arrive, they can shake you, can't they? And they can rock you. And some of you, as I said, right now, perhaps your faith is being shaken or it's being rocked right now. So I want you to listen very carefully this morning because Peter gives us some help. And I want to pass along to you what Peter gives us out of this passage. So when you are rocked by trials, there are four things that you have. Number one, you have a message to remember. You have a message to remember. Look at verse 3. Keep your Bible open. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That, you know what? Peter says this. Before he ever gets to the trials, he says, I just want to tell you the good side uh, of things, and that is that you have this living hope. So while you're alive... Christ is alive. He lives in you, and he provides this hope. It is eternal hope. And so on your worst day, on your worst day, remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't going to last forever. I have a message, and my message is a message of hope. It is an eternal message, and I can cling to and hold on to that message, no matter how bad the trial. Peter reminds us that our hope is not in our circumstances. It's not in ourself and fixing it. Our hope is in the living Lord Jesus. You see, trials have a way of distracting our minds from what we know is true. Uh, Your trials and tests can cause you to forget what Jesus has done for you. Jesus died for your sin. That's pretty significant. And your trials can distract you. Now, I believe the enemy of your soul wants to distract you, from what God has done. He doesn't want you getting up every day and say, you know, it's a great day. You know what? Because I'm saved. If everything else goes wrong today, I'm still saved. And if everything else goes wrong today, I'm still going to heaven. You can't take that away. I'm saved. That's a message of living hope. No matter what I've got to face today, no matter what is upon me, no matter how great the burden is, listen, Jesus loves me. He died for me. He rose from the grave. And because he did today, I have hope that lasts forever. i mean it. Take my life away, but you can't take my eternity away. I wonder, are you in a fiery trial right now? Then put your hope in Jesus because Jesus is there too. Jesus, by the way, he doesn't thrust you into the trial and say, see you on the other side, I'm not going through this. In fact, listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in in Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. Write this down. If you don't know this, write this down and post it somewhere. If you're going through a fiery trial, and if you're not going through a fiery trial right now, just hang on. This is what the prophet, well, this is what God said to the prophet. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Listen, here's the message. Hmm. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Listen, that's corporate, but it's personal. That's what he says. That's the message that we have to to remember. So in the trial that is rocking you, remember the real message, the eternal message. Jesus is your hope. You are saved, and he is with you every step of the way. Second, when your faith is shaken through trials, you have something else. You have an an inheritance that's reserved for you. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hold fast to God in the trial because there is an inheritance ahead for you. There's an inheritance. Think about that. There's something waiting on you. That's what he said. There's a reward waiting on you. Do you remember what Paul said before he was beheaded in Rome? He said, I have uh, fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. And then he said, and now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But not for me alone, but for all of those who have believed. Do you know what he said? Man, I did it. I finished the course. I finished the race. And you know what I'm looking forward to? I've got this crown that's awaiting. There is an inheritance that is waiting for me on the other side. I may not fully understand it right now, but it is there. And listen, friend, when you're going through the fiery trial, you have an inheritance that is reserved. The trial, just like it can't take away the fact that you are a follower of Christ, it can't take away the inheritance that God has for you. And he tells us there are four things about this inheritance. Number one, it is imperishable. Did you notice that? You know what that means? The idea in the Greek there is that it does not age. It does not deteriorate. And it will not lose its quality. You see, the inheritance over there is not, look, it's not driven by the market. You know, so you we everybody's been watching the market for the last year or two and watching this thing go up and down. And by the way, I just say that's probably a prescription for nausea. And so, but you don't have to do that with your inheritance in Christ. It's not like, well, I hope the market does good while I'm down here, so when I get up there, you determine that inheritance down here. But <clears throat> what you, what you <clears throat> determine down here is safe in heaven, waiting for you. It, is an inher- it doesn't lose its value. It doesn't lose its quality It doesn't age. It's imperishable. But secondly, he says it's undefiled, too. That means our inheritance cannot be polluted, corrupted, or infected. It means it is undefiled. It has no flaws to it. It's as pure as it can be. That's the kind of inheritance that's waiting for you. And then he says, third, it's unfading. Do you notice that? That means, again, it lasts forever forever. In the kingdom of God, all that God rewards us with never loses its beauty. It will not fade. Even after we receive it in the kingdom, we won't say, well, you must have been here a while. Notice that your crown has faded a little bit, or your reward has faded a little bit. Nope. It, 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 whatever the inheritance is, its beauty lasts for all of eternity. Think about that. By the way, that means it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, polished. Yeah, I had a better polish that. We were, we were given, uh, early in our ministry, a church we served in uh, gave us a silver tea service. Uh, we were young, and I, I don't know what two young newlyweds do with a silver tea service. It was worth more than anything we had in our house, I think. Um, but we were, we were proud of it, you know. We had a silver tea service. We'd never go buy that, and and so we had that silver tea. We still have it. We still have it, yeah. And, um, um, you know, had an etching on it, you know. Uh, we're so glad you've gone. We thought you'd never leave. What, so so had this silver tea on us. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we said, have it. But you know what? We haven't polished it. You know what happens when you don't polish Silver. It, it just stays brilliant looking. Well, you know it doesn't. You have to clean it and polish it. And then polishing it is hard because you've got to get in the little nook, nooks and crannies and all of that kind of stuff and everything. And So we haven't. <laughs> but we have it. But it doesn't look today like it looked when they gave it to us. In heaven... You don't have to work on the inheritance. You don't have to say, eh, this thing's starting to fade some. There's canker on this. This I've got it. I'm glad, but, Lord, I'm having to keep it clean. You don't have to. It it is unfading. Its beauty is never diminished. It will not fade away. Uh, uh, It's like our eternal bodies. It will last brilliantly forever. And then he says, forth, yeah, this inheritance is kept. It's kept. It's reserved for each of us. And the picture is that God is keeping it for us individually. God is keeping it for us until we finish serving him here on earth. And then he will present it to us when we arrive. Here, this is what you've put away. By the way, that is, and we'll talk about this when we get into James' faith and works. We'll talk about that and rewards and that sort of stuff later because James addresses that. But, But here's the point of that. So you're putting stuff away in heaven now that does not fade or or uh, diminish or anything. But what you're doing now, that's why living for God is so important. That's why living through the trial is so important. That's why remaining faithful now is so important because you're making eternal investments with your faith right now. And so when you get there, I don't know exactly how the process will work, but it says he's he's keeping it, so he'll present it to us. He'll give it to us. And I think our goal is for him to present it to us and then add this. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Here. This has been kept for you. This is what you put this is what you put away for the kingdom. Remember Paul talked about what you put away and what burns up. He says that some some are going to make it into the kingdom but by the skin of their teeth. He said, because what they've been doing has been for themselves and not for him, and that's going to go up in flames. Everything will be tried. Just like you're tried in trials, there will be a trial of your works, and he says that some will be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. Those were the things that we really did for us. We tried to make it look like we were doing it for God. But the things that we do for God are put away and they're kept as an eternal inheritance. They're gifts, really, that we receive back from God. Now, you know, we love giving gifts to our grandsons. In fact, I think it's one of the most enjoyable things about being a grandparent. And so what we do is, Allison and I will buy them uh, gifts. We, they're not extravagant gifts, but at this age, they don't need extravagant gifts. They just like gifts, the whole idea of a gift or a present. And so what we will do is we'll buy them gifts and then, then we'll wrap them and then we'll set them in a place and we'll FaceTime them and say, hey guys, we got some presents for you when you show up next time. <laughs> it's not manipulation. <laughs> but we've got these presents for you, and we wrap them up. And before we show them the present, we say, we got, we got a present. They get all excited. Even the younger one now is starting to get excited. The older one, I mean, he's, he's about to turn five, and he just, I mean, huh, what is it, Pops? What is it? What is it? And I say, I can't tell you. I said, do you want me to show it to you? Yes, show it to you. So we show him on FaceTime, and then he goes, oh, because he can't see what it is because it's wrapped up. <laughs> and I said, we're keeping that. And when you get here, when you get here, we're going to give that to you. That is so fun. And you know, every day when they call, every day when they call, if it's going to be six weeks before they show, every day, Pops, can I see the present? <laughs> yep. Show it to him. What is it, Pops? Not going to tell you, but I am going to give it to you when you get here. If you behave, <laughs> you see inheritances and gifts and all of that, have a, they have contingencies, don't they? And it's so fun when they get there. And the first thing, when they get out of the car, Pops, Pops, where's the present? And we love giving it to them. And we love watching their response. And I don't know, and I mean this, and all grandparents know this, and I, I don't know if it's more fun giving or, or just watching and seeing the excitement of the gift. You know what, people? We ought to be excited that God has kept something for us. And you don't completely know what it's like right now, but God has got an inheritance for you that He wants to present to you. But behave between here and there. That's the way it is with God. Paul said in Philippians, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, look, I, I'm leaving that stuff behind. I'm forgetting. you have some stuff you want to forget? Do like this. Paul said, "Now, if anybody had stuff to forget, Paul had stuff to forget. And Paul said, you know what, I'm leaving that behind because now in Christ I'm going this way, I'm going forward. And what am I doing? I'm straining, I'm pressing forward. It is the the idea of an athlete in a race and how they lean forward across the finish line. I mean, when he says that I'm straining or pressing, it's a picture of the athlete leaning across that finish line. And, And that's what he says, that's what I'm doing. This is how I'm running my life because there is an inheritance over there and I'm straining and I'm pressing and I'm Going forward, listen. Are you being rocked today by trials? Press on, strain forward, put your eyes on the prize that is being kept and held for you. Then there's a third thing that you have if you're uh, facing trials and your faith is being rocked. You have a salvation to be revealed. He says, verses 5 and verse 9, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You have a salvation to be revealed. You have a salvation that's being guarded. And he, he uses that word later on in the passage. He talks about being guarded. It's a military term, and it describes a soldier who is guarding someone. And here it's in the present tense to emphasize the continual nature of, of God's guarding you so that your salvation can't be lost. Now, this is not to suggest that believers are guarded from pain. It's not to suggest that believers are guarded from difficulty or anguish, but rather it means that God himself guards and watches over us because we are saved. And because we are saved, we are secure. And just like your inheritance, your salvation is being protected. It is being guarded. That means your internal inheritance is protected by God, and it means that it can't be stolen, and neither can your salvation. Jesus said this in John 10, I give them, that's us who have believed, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Listen to this. And no one, including Satan, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So how does that help you when your faith is being rocked? Well, Peter knew that the believers were under this great pressure. He knew that they were, they were, uh, their faith was being tried through persecution and through uh, uh, privation and, and physical maladies that they were being faced with. He knew that under Nero at the time, uh, uh, the persecution that Nero had put out in Rome toward Christians was spreading their way. And he wanted to assure them that no matter what came, That deliverance lay ahead in their eternal salvation. That was their future. And so, if you're going through this trial, this soul stirring, this faith shaking trial in your life right now, you can be certain of this. You do have an inheritance, as we said, but you also have an eternal salvation. So, no matter what happens to you in this life, as I said earlier, you're saved. If you're saved, you're saved. Now, look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but let me just say this. Not everyone that says they're saved is saved. But Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? And didn't we do all of these these wonderful things in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. You did them in my name. By the way, God honors his name even if a pagan uses it rightly. And he said, you did that stuff through my name, but but you weren't saved. You didn't know me. John said this, they went out from us because they were never really one of us. By the way, we're going to see some of this in the days ahead. We're going to see some people. That's why it's so important right now that the church get its house in order. Spiritually, theologically, personally, Because there are things coming in this culture that are going to test your soul, going to test your faith. It's going to rock it. And it will sift. I think the sifting has already begun. I think COVID was a a sifting move. You say, no, pastor, it was a sickness. Uh, I, I get it. God, did you know God uses the natural order of things to bring judgment and to bring correction history's full of it and so, and so that's why uh, it, And this is a good pause listen, if you're not sure that you're saved, you need to get that in order you need to get that in order because if you're saved, you're saved but if you are not, you will fall away Because the storms and the things that are coming are going to be too hard for the person that isn't really saved to survive. It'll be easier to just say, well, I didn't sign up for that. No, I, didn't think, I didn't think that's what it was going to involve. Jesus spoke some words to people, and I've told you this many times before, but it's worth reiterating. He said some things when he had the mass followers. You know, everybody wanted to follow Jesus. Why? Because, well, if you're sick, he'll heal you. If you're hungry, he'll feed you. And they they followed and followed and followed. And one day he's teaching them, and the Bible says he said some difficult things to them, and it says, and many of his disciples, I think the terminology is interesting, many of his disciples turned and walked with him no more. Isn't that interesting? why did he call them disciples? Because they were followers. You know, you can be a follower of something and not fully committed. And so they looked like disciples. They sounded like disciples until they were, they were pushed to a point where they said, oh, now wait a minute. No, we, we can't go there. You remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, uh, master, uh, what do I need to do to be your disciple? And Jesus addressed the issue, the glaring issue in his life was he was controlled by his money. You may be that same person, but you're controlled by something different. You say, that'll never happen to me, I don't have any. But you may have something else that controls you. And Jesus, you know, so Jesus addresses the man and says, sell all you have, give it to the poor. The Bible says, the guy had good manners, he had money. Uh, uh, and he called Jesus his master. I mean, those are things that that usually we say, "Come on." But Jesus knew his heart. He knows your heart, and he knows my heart. And Jesus knew, and so he pointed at that thing, and he says, "Okay, l- let's see if you really want to follow me and be my disciple." And he says, "So sell all you have, give it to the poor." And the Bible says the countenance of the man fell, and he turned and walked away. And the remarkable thing to me about that story is that Jesus didn't chase him down. If he'd have been a Baptist preacher, we'd have chased him down. <laughs> we would have said, hey, uh, come on, come on. Let's, let's do this gradually. But Jesus didn't. He never did, and he never does. Come and follow me. Well, I will, but I've got to bury my father first. By the way... Scholars agree the man didn't mean right now I've got to go bury him. It meant I've got to wait until my father passes away. And that could be years. And then I'm going to follow you. Then, then I'll do it. Jesus kept going. You see, Jesus says now, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Behold, today is a day of salvation. Because you don't know if you'll have another day. And so that's why it's so important to you, for you to get your spiritual act together. Right now, not down the road, not saying, well, let me move on. There's the last thing you have. When you're facing trials that shake your life and rock your faith, you have a reason to rejoice. Verses 6 and 7, look at that. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes... Your faith is more precious than gold. You you picked up on that, right? Gold perishes, he says. Gold perishes, but your faith, is is more precious, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have a reason to rejoice. That's what he says. Though now for a little while you grieve, now for a little while your faith is rocked. Now for a little while you've been shaken. He says, for a little while. It's just for a little while. Peter's not saying, look, let let me make something clear. Peter's not saying, oh, rejoice in the trials of your life. He's not saying, I'm just rejoicing in this trial. I'm so glad. I hadn't had any in a while, and I'm really rejoicing. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that, you know, the previous three things I talked about that we have, he said, we can rejoice because We have those things. Those things are certain. We have those things. And so even when the trial shakes us, we look back at those things and say, wait, I have a message of hope. Yeah, I have an inheritance that's kept for me. I'm eternally secure in my relationship. Yeah, I can rejoice. I'll rejoice in those things. I belong to God eternally. I would rejoice in that. You see what he's saying? He says, in the grand scheme of things, I talked about this, what, two weeks ago? Put it in perspective. Frame the trial. Put it in perspective. See it, see it in light of eternity. And when you do that, you can rejoice. He says, so for a little while, you grieve. You say, well, how long is a little while? I don't know. It might be 50, 60 years. But you would agree, wouldn't you agree with me, 50 or 60 years, nothing compared to eternity. If one day is as a thousand years with the Lord, right? So you grieve for a little while. In other words, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, but you can rejoice. There are some things you can rejoice about. So again, when the trial is hammering you, if you can not allow your mind to be distracted by the difficulty of the trial. Put your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Lift up your head, for your redemption draws nigh. In a little while, your redemption is going to fulfill itself. So when that trial is hammering you and pounding you, t- take a moment and say, wait a minute. Yes, this I'm grieved. Yes, this hurts. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's suffering. But but it's only a little while and I rejoice because I've got something waiting for me. I rejoice. I'm saved forever. I rejoice because I belong to Jesus. So, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, Paul said. Frankly, we can rejoice in our trials because we know what's ahead. We know, you know, the early church going through such persecution, they were always talking about the return of Christ. They were always talking, you know why? Because they were suffering. They were going, and their faith said, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on what's coming. That Christ is going to return. And if he'll come back, he'll resolve all of this stuff. Because this stuff is just for a little while. So we have a reason to rejoice. Amen? In 1799, Conrad Reed discovered a 17-pound rock while fishing in Little Meadow Creek. Now, he didn't know what it was made of, and so his family used it, 17 pounds, and they used it as a doorstop for three years. Finally, in 1802, his father, John Reed, took the, took the stone to a jeweler who identified it as a lump of gold, a 17-pound lump of gold. they have been using it as a doorstop. At the time, it was worth about $3,600, which in 17... 99 to 1800, right in there, was an enormous amount of money. I guess today it would be worth probably a million bucks. But that lump of gold, which was used for a doorstep for three years in this North Carolina home, is today still considered one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rocky Mountains. And I read that, I kept that in my file uh, off and on for years. I've looked at it and I thought this. You know, a lot of people are are like that. Their trials become doorstops instead of assets. Trials aren't fun. Trials shake us. But I want to tell you something. They can be an asset if we know what to do with them. Or they can be a doorstop in our life. And properly responded to, and here's what I want to close with. I want to tell you three things that trials will do. There are three things they'll do. Number one, trials will identify your faith. He said the tested genuineness of your faith. He's talking about this trial, a trial of fire. It will test the genuineness of your faith. Oswald Chambers said, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. You see, nothing reveals the validity of your relationship with God more than the trials that you face. Warren Wiersbe said this, a person who abandons his or her faith when the going gets tough is only proving that he or she really had no faith at all. Peter knew something about this whole matter of trials. He knew something about persecution and testing. He knew about it from both the religious side and the political side. You see, he he suffered at the hands of both the Sanhedrin And then he suffered, which were a religious group, and then he suffered at the hands of Herod Agrippa I. And he had failed the test on one previous occasion. You remember that one. But he did recover, and he was able to strengthen his brothers and sisters through letters just like this and through the life of commitment that he lived in front of them afterwards. He encouraged them and he exhorted them that their faith would not fail. See, trials identify real faith from phony faith. They, they sift us. They, they tell the truth about us. Now, there are many of you in here who are old enough to remember a show called To Tell the Truth. Y'all remember that? Kitty Carlisle and all of that cast, the panel, and they bring out three people And each of these people had something, well, there was a person who had something unique. And they would tell you what that uniqueness was. And then the three people that they brought out would all act like they were the creator of whatever that was. And you had to figure out which one was telling the truth and which one was telling a lie. And it was always, it was hard to do. And and sometimes uh, uh, the panel couldn't get it, any of them, to tell the truth. Well, I want to tell you what trials do. They tell the truth. There's no mistake. They reveal your identity. So who is the person of faith? The trials will tell you. Who is the person that's the real uh, faith follower of Christ? The testing will tell you. And the Bible says at the end of the age that that will become more pronounced. So trials identify real faith from phony faith. Number two, trials purify your faith. He said, your faith more precious than gold, but like gold, being tested by fire. See, there are things in your life that God needs to remove. There are impurities that need to go from your life. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's self-sufficiency, maybe it's a lack of trust in God, or could be any number of other things. But note that Peter speaks of the fire of refinement. Peter makes his point with the illustration of a goldsmith you see, to form a useful object from raw gold, the gold must be cast into a mold. And for that to occur, the, the, the gold must be melted and it requires a temperature of over 1,900 degrees Fahrenheit. And when the gold is melted, you know what happens, I bet. The impurities rise to the top of that gold. And then the, the impurities are either skimmed off, they can skim them off, or you, the other way is they burn them off. They literally just burn them off and they burn up. And the goldsmith knows that the gold is ready to be poured into whatever mold, whether it's a a brick mold or whatever mold they're pouring it in. He knows it is ready to be poured. You know how he knows? When he can see his image in the gold when he looked down at the gold, then all the, the dross, all the, the impurities have been skim, uh, uh, skimmed off or burned off, and he can see his reflection in the gold. He knows it's now pure, and it can be uh, poured into the mold. I want to tell you something. You know what the fiery trials are designed to do? No matter what the source, make you look more like Jesus. The trials you see are the opportunity to reflect the image of Christ in your life. They burn off the impurities. And then, then the last is that your trials glorify your Father. Do you notice what he said? And result in praise and glory. The ultimate goal of your existence is to bring glory and praise and honor to God. And so it's safe to say from Peter's exhortation here in this passage that our faithfulness through the strongest trials Are an act of praise to God. They're an act of trust and they're an act that glorifies Him. I kept the faith, like Paul said, through all of the trials and through all of the testings, and the result is that God has been honored and God has been glorified. So, have you or are you being rocked? Your faith? Is it being shaken? By some soul-stirring trial? Let God use it the way God wants to use it to bring glory and honor to him and praise. And now in closing, let me just say this. Peter was not urging these believers to find trials that would test their faith. I want you to know that. You don't have to go looking for trials. They'll find you. Some years ago, I was deposed by an attorney representing an insurance company regarding a devastating accident of one of my coworkers. And later, I was subpoenaed by that attorney to testify in court, and they put me on the stand. Uh, I don't think he was prepared for what happened next. Uh, they swore me in, and then the judge looked at me and said, "Hey, Ray, how you doing?" And his eyes got big, but at a certain point, as he was questioning me, he asked me this question. He said, Now, Pastor, I'm reading from page so and so from your deposition, in which you were asked, Is it true that God uses trials and difficulties to make a person stronger? And didn't you answer in that deposition, Yes, God does use trials and difficulties to grow us and strengthen our faith. Didn't you you answer that? I'm looking at it right here on page so-and-so. I said, yes, I did say that. I said, but you didn't finish the sentence. I said, yes. God does use trials and difficulties to grow us and strengthen our faith. But you don't go looking for them. Or you don't try to cause them. He said, that's all I've got. (laughs) Look, you don't go looking for them. In fact, we see when we read about Paul, there there was occasion they were coming after him. They put him in a basket and let him down outside the city so he could escape. Several times we see that. You don't have to go looking for trials. Trials will find you. Difficulties will find you. And when, not if, they do remember what Peter has taught us. You have a message that Christ alone is your eternal hope. You have an inheritance that you will receive from God. You have salvation forever that is guarded by God. You have a reason to rejoice because your trials are God's work of refinement in your life. So we have to understand, there's no way out but God. There's no way through, but God. But I will be with you when you walk through the water. The river will not overwhelm you. And I will be in the fire. At your feet I fall, yield you up, my all. To suffer, Live or die for my Lord, crucified. He's there. I surrender. He'll take me through. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We say thank you for the trials that test us. We don't say thank you because we're looking for them, but thank you, Father, that you can use them You can strengthen our faith. And Father, I pray for those who are watching, those in this audience, those who are listening, that are going through this. I pray, Father, that you'll fortify their faith, that you'll help them put their eyes upon you, that they'll remember the message that you are their living hope and will trust you through it all. Father, before we're gone this morning, there are some watching, listening, and all of that, Father. There's some of those, and there's some in a crowd this size who don't really know you. Would you move in their hearts right now that they take care of that most important decision? Give their life to Jesus Christ, their Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and for our invitation time. Brother Aaron's going to come and and lead us and staff will be on the aisles and I invite you to slip out from where you're seated in the balcony or ground floor. Look, maybe you're praying about some decision. Maybe you're praying for someone that you know is going through an incredible trial. Our staff prayed for some people right now today that are going through some incredible trials. Maybe you need to come and bend the knee and say, I need to pray for somebody maybe you're going through some trial that you need to bow your knee and talk to Jesus and say I surrender all Lord to you maybe you're here and you just need a church family to become a part of would you slip out come say pastor we'd like to join here I'd like to join here pastor you can use that tear off panel you can do that drop it in take it by the welcome center but I invite you to come here and just say, pastor or staff member this is where I want to become a part. Maybe you need Christ as your Savior. You've never trusted God, or you're not sure. Don't walk out of this place uncertain, and we can help you with that. Would you come? As hey, Brother Aaron leads us right now, you slip out, you come on.